everyone. Welcome to McGill Cares, a weekly webcast show uh, dedicated to support family and informal caregivers on a wide variety of topics. My name is Claire Webster. I'm a certified Alzheimer care consultant, founder of the McGill Dementia Education Program, and a former caregiver myself. These weekly webcasts are brought to you thanks to the generous donation of private donations. Today, we're gonna to be addressing a very important topic uh, in dementia care, and it has to do with responding to challenging behaviors. My guest today is Dr. Don Dole. He practices geriatrics at the McGill University Health Center, and he is the assistant professor in the McGill Faculty of Medicine. He is particularly interested in dementia care and has worked with many of the leading experts in neurology, psychiatry, and geriatrics in Canada. He will provide insight into some of the challenging behaviors caused by dementia and look at the ways that they can be addressed. Welcome, Don. Thank you, very happy to be here and help. <laughs> so um, just to start, I'm just interested to know, um, a young doctor like yourself, what made you be interested in getting into the field of dementia and geriatrics? Well, first of all, I, I really love older people. Um, I think that uh, they, we have so much to learn from them, the life experience, um, the things they can teach us. Uh, I really like uh, spending time and listening to stories and, and learning from that. Um, the, uh, our approach to geriatrics is different than in many other fields of medicine. It's holistic. We look at everything. We look at people's medical issues as a whole, but also um, psychologically, socially, uh, everything in terms of the whole person to try to do what we can to, to help. We try to leave no stone unturned. And I think that's a very good way of practicing medicine uh, and something uh, I really enjoy. And then also I wanna give back. I think uh, older people have uh, done so much for the world uh, to build our society to the way that it was. And I, I think it's uh, important to recognize that and do what we can to say thank you. That's really, it's really, really great. And I know that you work with a great team of doctors for whom I know many of them. Um, so I wanna get right into it today and talk about what, what do we define being challenging behavior, okay? When it comes to dementia care, what are challenging behaviors? So, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say a few uh, words and then maybe you can give definitions of them, okay? So I think one of the, the most challenging behaviors, for instance, is repetition, right? So what would you define as repetition? So uh, something we encounter a lot, uh, people uh, often with uh, dementia have memory problems. And so they will repeat themselves because they might be asking a question, but forget that they asked it before and ask it again, or they might have an action or something that they do that they forgot that they did that they continue to do over and over again. And uh, for that person with dementia living in the moment and not realizing that they've done it before, it seems normal, but to uh, a caregiver, it can be really, really frustrating uh, because they might find themselves all day giving the same answer over and over and over again. So like calling uh, their loved one on the phone 25 times, 50 times a day. Yeah. yeah, and you forget that you had that conversation, the person with dementia does. And so they call again, they ask the same questions. That's one example of, of repetitive behavior. Uh, although there can be different kinds of repetitive behavior too. There can be people who just get really stuck on a certain idea 
and have that idea over and over and over and over again. Um, or even uh, repetitive action. So it's just an underlying uh, uh, way in which the brain uh, gets stuck with a certain idea and needs to continue doing it over and over again, not necessarily related to forgetting that you've done it before. Like, like making a bed you know, 10 times a day or packing a suitcase, unpacking mm -hmm. a suitcase, even if they have nowhere to go, correct? Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, like, um, I mean, I remember, I recall my mother would be like walking around with her purse all the time and you're taking all the contents out, putting it back in, put, taking it out, putting it back in and then losing everything. Mm -hmm. and she would just do that multiple times a day. Yeah, so that really, would be defined as repetitive behavior. Yeah, really quite common, uh, commonly can happen, yeah. Okay, so what about agitation? So uh, agitation is one of the, I think it's the one thing we think about the most when we hear someone with behavioral problems is someone who's agitated, who's angry, who's frustrated. Um, often for the people who experience that symptom, I like to say frustrated because they can relate to it better. Um, frustrated sounds a little bit bad. Uh, better than agitated and it also might imply uh, something that they're frustrated about and maybe get us to the underlying uh, trigger. Uh, but uh, uh, agitation is, is usually a bad feeling uh, and uh, can lead to behaviors and actions that can be even dangerous or problematic, especially if people, that agitation uh, turns into aggression. Again, that can be related to some kind of underlying trigger that maybe people, because of the dementia and the way they understand and think about the trigger, uh, they're getting agitated or frustrated about it. Whereas before, uh, without that change in the way of thinking, they that wouldn't have happened. Uh, it may be a way of expressing uh, something that's wrong that they have a hard time communicating, like if they have pain. They might not say, I have pain. They might just get agitated. Um, and uh, uh, so uh, it's, uh, it's certainly one of the most uh, dis disruptive things uh, that we uh, encounter and have to deal with. And usually a sign that somebody is in some kind of uh, underlying distress about something. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of um, family caregivers also report paranoia and conspiracy theories. So accusing a loved one of either cheating or stealing. Can you explain that? Yeah, so we hear about uh, terms like delusions mm -hmm. or paranoia mm -hmm. or hallucinations and illusions. They're all slightly different things. Uh, a delusion is an idea about something that's going on that's not actually happening. And Sometimes they can get really bizarre, things that absolutely couldn't happen. And sometimes they're potentially within the realm of possibility. And sometimes they might not seem real, but are actually going on. So they're worth listening to and trying to see, okay, could there actually be something underlying this that could be bothering them? You know, mm -hmm. somebody might be worried that they're being abused financially and it, it might be true and it might not. And sometimes it's worth, uh, worth uh, looking into, mm -hmm. uh, but sometimes uh, it isn't actually true. And that's what we call a, a delusion. Mm -hmm. uh, a paranoia is a kind of delusion. It's a suspicion that somebody's out to uh, do you harm. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas that is not actually true. 
and then uh, hallucinations are where you actually experience something uh, sensory that's not actually there. So you might see something that's not actually there, like a person uh, or an animal, um, uh, or you might hear something that's not actually there, like uh, music, even though there's no music playing, hmm. uh, or uh, uh, it's very unusual in, in dementia, but people might hear voices that are telling them to do something Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, uh, people can have tactile hallucinations too. They can sometimes feel something touching them that's not really there. That's that's mm-hmm. quite a bit more unusual. Usually, uh, visual hallucinations are are the most common in dementia. Um, and then uh, people can have illusions. So illusion is where there's something in your environment that becomes distorted and changes into something else. So, uh, for example, uh, uh, you might uh, uh, you might notice uh, your reflection in the mirror and not recognize mm-hmm. that it's you mm-hmm. and think that it's somebody else, and then mm-hmm. uh, think that now there's a stranger in the house. Yeah, I would go through that a lot with my mom. Every time she walked by a mirror, she didn't recognize herself, and she would always be like. <gasps> Like, you know, always wondering, who is that? Who is that? And I would have to say to her that, mom, that's you. Um, so that that was very, very, very common. Um, what about uh, wandering in the evening? So we noticed that uh, people can uh, wander. The wander. There's many different types of wandering that can happen. Sometimes there's a purpose to it, you know. So, for example, somebody might forget that uh, where they live and think that, you know, they were living in their childhood house and not recognize the surroundings and then think that they need to leave to go back to their house. You know, so that's, that could be wandered, wandering that's triggered by a purpose. But sometimes people can also just get restless. Uh, maybe it's boredom. Maybe it's restlessness just from a, a new feeling of restlessness uh, and then want to walk and need to walk somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, wandering can happen for many different reasons, it may have a purpose, it may not have a purpose, uh, but uh, it can be quite risky because uh, people can uh, get themselves into difficult situations, uh, they could fall, uh, they might uh, leave, uh, leave the house and get lost, um, and so uh, wandering can, can be quite uh, a challenge as well. What I never really um, understood until I got into this practice was the dangers of letting somebody really go out and walking on their own, because as a disease progresses, they're no longer, it's like reflexes and not being able to recognize red light, green light, yellow light, crosswalks, uh, stop sign, look both ways. So it really is dangerous to allow someone to keep going out on their, lo- on their own as a disease uh, advances. Yeah, wandering is something we encounter usually beginning in the middle stage of dementia, mm-hmm. uh, which is the point mm-hmm. where we start to notice people start to not look after their personal care as much mm-hmm. anymore, uh, forgetting to bathe, forgetting to shower, forgetting to change mm-hmm. their clothes. Mm-hmm. That's usually the point in time where people can sometimes wander and get lost Mm-hmm. Uh, or wind up in risky situations uh, uh, outside of, a, of their familiar environments. 
So speaking of bathing and showering, um, that's one of the biggest also challenges for family members as the disease progresses. The person begins to refuse to bathe, shower, and we hear it's quite common among the majority of people with dementia. What, why is that? Well, I think the main issue is that, uh, you know, if you put yourself in their shoes, mm-hmm. you know, they don't, they kind of forget that the last time they bathed their shower might have been a week or two ago, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, as far as they're aware, they might need to not need to take a, a bath or a shower. They might also, it's also common to lose sense of smell sometimes in dementia. They might not realize or be aware that, you know, they're starting to get smelly uh, or that their uh, hygiene might uh, be a bit neglected. Uh, and so, uh, and so basically you're trying to convince somebody to do something that they don't think they need to have done, mm-hmm. you know, so it would, it's kind of like me telling you, Claire, you know, I really think it's time for you to take a, a shower. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd probably be insulted, uh, and, uh, you'd probably be a, a little bit upset like, uh, by that. Obviously you don't need to, uh, but, uh, but if you if you were someone with dementia, you know you would also think that you don't mm-hmm. need to, and you'd be upset by the fact that uh, somebody said that. So mm-hmm. that's often the lived experience behind it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and that's why it it can it can become uh, challenging. It might also be that we're trying to put people in new circumstances that they're not familiar with. You know, maybe uh, they're used to taking a bath all the time. And now we're trying to have them take a shower mm-hmm. or maybe they had a certain routine, like uh, they always took a, a shower uh, after they exercised, but they're not exercising anymore. You know, so we might be introducing a really different routine. Somebody mm-hmm. not familiar with it and uh, it kind of uh, uh, upsets the, uh, the mm-hmm. routine and the balance. So sometimes that's a very effective strategy behind uh uh, getting people to do this, figure out how was it that they used to do this, and then trying to replicate that and put it into a, a routine again can be a, mm-hmm. a, a way to, uh, to to solve that issue. And it can also be really frustrating if you start to get yourself in an argument about yeah. convincing somebody to do something that they don't think that they need to do. Mm-hmm. And then it's also important sometimes to pick your battles. So uh, although it's unpleasant if somebody doesn't take a bath or a shower, uh, it might be less important than, you know, uh, agitation or mm-hmm. wandering or mm-hmm. maybe not taking medications. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sometimes uh, we also have to uh, pick, our, pick our battles in terms of what we, we want people to to do and what we're insistent upon. I mean, that's where, this is the one area where my mother, as an example, was not a very verbally or physically aggressive person, but when it came time to showering, she became, and I think it was also because like you said, if you become argumentative and you're forcing someone, you know, at the time that she was transferred to residence, you know, if it was done forcefully where they were trying to push her, she would actually try to hit them or bite them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I look at it when I work with families, I also look at it in the sense that, you know, if a stranger comes to you and asks you to undress, I mean, people still have their sense of dignity. So you're, you, you know, you've got to do it in a way that preserves the dignity of a person. And if you're just getting them naked and shoving them in the shower or bath with somebody that they don't know, of course, the reaction is going to be the one to protect themselves. 
maybe there was a maybe there was a bad experience in the past uh, that they relate to you know Uh, yeah uh, maybe they were raped or something or forced to take their clothes off against their will and they might be reliving that experience right yeah Uh, and that might be uh, triggering a bad reaction so i think it's important to to be sensitive and think about those things and uh, avoiding an escalating situation mm-hmm. where you're trying to force somebody to do something that they don't want. Is there a better way to do it mm-hmm. uh, more on their terms, a certain time of day, a certain way of doing things and mm-hmm. compromise too? Maybe maybe we don't need to take that shower, but maybe a sponge bath is okay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and also, you know, sometimes things bother us more than they bother other people, right? So mm-hmm. it, thinking, okay, is the fact that they're not taking a bath or shower as regularly. Is it bothering me more than it's really bothering them? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then uh, knowing how to reconcile that. So you know when we discuss when we talk about physical, verbal, and even I would say sexual behaviors um, that could be brought up due to the dementia. Can you describe some of these situations and when should a family member be concerned about their own safety and realize I really need to get help? Like I really need to you know, press the abort button, call the CLSC or get help for myself immediately? When does it become dangerous? Obviously, the the physical behaviors are the ones that we really worry about because people can get injured. Uh, People can even get killed. Uh, You know, if there's access to weapons, knives, guns, uh, even scissors. scissors, yeah, all those kinds of things. Uh, or just uh, just physically, you know, we've had people who uh, have bad falls as a result of, uh, you know, a, a physical altercation and, and really uh, injuring themselves. So we really worry about uh, physical be- uh, f- the physical manifestation of uh, aggressive behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, and then. Uh, you know, sometimes that can be linked to and also be very upsetting uh, sexual behavior that might be inappropriate or not in the right context. You know, mm-hmm. first of all, I think it's important to recognize that there's not a point in your life where you stop uh, having sexual feelings, mm-hmm. you know, that uh, it is it is appropriate for some people to uh, continue to uh, have have those feelings and actions yeah. uh, later into life. Uh, so we don't want to stigmatize them, uh, but uh, it can sometimes be a problem if uh, uh, those arise uh, really and are, are in an appropriate context. Right. Um, right. And uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes they can be misinterpreted too. So, you know, for example, mm-hmm. uh, if someone's looking after your personal care, it's, it's kind of a very intimate thing. And, you know, sometimes that can get misinterpreted as, okay, you know, we're ready to have sex now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there might be a, an inappropriate behavior uh, related mm-hmm. to that. Uh, so, and, and they might not understand what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, but also the sexual drive could be all of a sudden increased and it can get people uh, in a very uh, dangerous and inappropriate situation. Right, because if the family member doesn't want to respond and then the person with dementia, because there's no more filter, right, mm-hmm. uh, is insistent upon it, they could become like um, almost trapped in a way, right? I mean, yeah. I've heard of family caregivers who've had to escape, lock themselves in bathrooms or bedrooms and, and fearful. And I think it's a topic that people don't necessarily want to discuss and admit to, but 
think people should know that it is unfortunately in some cases of dementia a part of the evolution of the disease. Yeah, um, it's really important to talk about and it's yeah. the kind of thing that sometimes we don't feel comfortable talking about, but, yeah. uh, but it's important to realize that these things happen uh, and, uh, and that uh, uh, if you discuss it, you might be able to find ways to make things uh, better. Yeah, and uh, I think, yeah, and I was going to say too, I think the disease is, because it's always evolving, you know, the way somebody behaves one month isn't necessarily how they're going to mm -hmm. behave a few months after. And, you know, one of the, one of the challenges that I also hear a lot about is like, a, a, you know, when, when couples who share a bedroom and share a bed, sometimes a family member who, a person with dementia could wake up in the middle of the night suddenly and not recognize their loved one who's sleeping mm -hmm. beside them. And then think that there's an intruder in the bed. And I've heard some cases where people have like tried to choke a person next to them or, you know, like you say, grab a weapon. So I think if it gets to ever gets to that stage, uh, those should be signs of, of caution. Uh, yeah. Another thing that can happen, too, is uh, certain kinds of dementia. People can have a sleep disorder where they start acting out their dreams okay. and uh, they might not even be conscious and acting out a dream. And that can also uh, be dangerous, but it's also very treatable. Mm -hmm. So it's important to mention uh, um, to your doctor uh, if that's going on, because uh, there could be medications specifically mm -hmm. for that acting out the, the dream problem. Mm -hmm. uh, really anything that uh, is a potentially dangerous situation should be uh, brought up and discussed. Mm -hmm. um, it might warrant uh, mm -hmm. medications to try to help. Although even for these more dangerous behaviors, the treatment is often primarily not medications. It's trying to know what could be triggering it and avoid escalating the problem. So what are some of the triggers? So for example, you know, somebody, maybe it is around uh, the bathing, right? So maybe it's uh, trying to force somebody to take a bath and they really don't want to take the bath and you start to force them physically and they start to fight back. Uh, and uh, so uh, avoiding that kind of escalating situation uh, could, could, uh, could be what avoids uh, getting harmed in the first place and having uh, a different approach. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned uh, before about like you were saying earlier about physical and verbal aggression. Sometimes when the person no longer can communicate their feelings, there could be something else going on with them, correct? Like Yeah, they could be having pain and being agitated because they have the pain and acting out on that. You know, uh, they might be, uh, for example, uh, it might be a, a hallucination. They might be hallucinating something. Uh, they might be trying to respond to that. Uh, maybe, maybe they are, for example, noticing their reflection in the mirror and thinking that there's a stranger around and acting out on that. Maybe we just have to get rid of the mirror, which is the trigger for that. Mm -hmm. But also often we notice that uh, it's, it's our approach to when that's going on, you know. So if somebody has, has a delusion, you know, say uh, um, I'm, I'm suspicious that my partner is cheating on me, right? Uh, if I start arguing about that, then that, argue, that argument might escalate, raise the emotions, get people more frustrated, and eventually it might result in you know, physical aggression. 
But if there's a different approach to that, like you just leave or you try to get on another topic or, or distract away from it, then it might not, not ever escalate to, to that point. Yeah, I think I had to use, so what would be some really good tips like communication skills? Because when I hear that from the families that I work with, you know, I, I, try, I always say to them, try to stay as calm as possible because if you start arguing or questioning them, it's just gonna escalate. So I often say to them, your response should be, you know, I'm so sorry you feel that way. I'm so sorry you feel that way. Or, or you know, just try to like, you know, try to use words. Like what would be some of the, the key words or messages that you would say? Well, I think first of all, it's important to be mindful of how you're feeling and how upset you are mm -hmm. and, uh, and how you're reacting to that. Because mm -hmm. people with dementia, they're, they're living in that moment, right? And so mm -hmm. if they're noticing that you're getting upset and angry and agitated, they're likely to feel upset and angry and agitated as well. So it's, I think it's important to, okay, step back. How am I feeling about this? How am I dealing with this? And then uh, trying to approach it in a calm way, the person that you're dealing with is more likely going to then be uh, calmer as well. If you're getting really flustered and angry, uh, then they're more likely to start to feel the same way. Uh, so, you know, I think, I think that's, that's really important. Uh, I think it's important to not argue or disagree uh, because, again, you're getting into the point where you're trying to convince something that something's not a certain way, even though they might be experiencing it to be that way. If they're having a hallucination and they see something there, they're actually seeing something there. Mm -hmm. And to convince them that they're not seeing it is not going to work because they're actually seeing it. So should you join their journey? Like, should you just say, oh, well, you know, like ask them to provide more information about it as opposed to saying to them, oh, no, stop it. It's not real. Like what? Yeah, I think saying stop it. It's not real. Uh, I mean, I can't say that it's never worked, <laughs> but most of the time it's not the best uh, strategy. Uh, best thing usually is to validate their concerns and mm -hmm. understand what they're feeling. You know, okay. so you say, OK, you're seeing this. I understand how that must be very upsetting. You know, uh, is there anything I can do to, you know, to make it better? And then suggest some things to distract. Well, maybe we should go walk into the other room. Uh, uh, why don't we, you know, uh, play some cards uh, here, have a snack. So to distract uh, them, try to remove them from the situation and just distract mm -hmm. them, right? Change change whatever you're doing what or, about or if you or if you figure what you're doing is yeah. triggering things and making things mm -hmm. worse and you feel that you're going to be in a dangerous situation you have to remove yourself from that situation so that yeah. you don't get in trouble like i also find the environment could be sometimes too stimulating you know a lot of families were used to having big family gatherings but as the disease progresses for many people all that noise stimulation too many questions could actually trigger you know very negative reactions in people so i think for families to maybe let go of some things. Like if, it is, if it's not working, you've just got to let go and you know, change. And it doesn't prevent the family caregiver to go and have you know, lunches and dinners with their family members, but sometimes it could be overstimulating for their loved ones, right? Stimu stimulation, uh, sensory overload, you know, uh, that can often be a trigger, but also boredom and not having enough to do can, can mm -hmm. be a trigger. One of the specialized treatments we have for people with agitation and dementia is actually this sensory room where we put them in, where there's like videos and lights and sounds and that kind of thing. So sometimes, sometimes we use uh, distraction and stimulation mm -hmm. 
to help, but then sometimes it could be making things worse. So uh, it's it's kind of uh, troubleshooting, uh, but uh, but I think uh, uh, what's happening in the environment is really important to, to think about. And for and the what. repetitive behavior, there's really nothing anybody can do, right? I mean, it's just about being exceptionally, extremely as patient as possible. If they call yeah. them 10 times or 20 times a day, it's just by being patient, right? Yeah, which is, which is easier said than done. I mean, it's it can be really hard when you've been asked mm -hmm. the same question over mm -hmm. and over again, you know, 60 times uh, and giving the, the same answer over and over again. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and you know, uh, you know, at, at some point you might snap uh, and then get frustrated. But and then you realize that's what triggers the other person to then become frustrated and angry as well, as well. Uh, well I, so you know I think that's where it's important also as caregivers to to look after yourself mm -hmm. you know you're going to have a shorter fuse if you've got too much on your plate uh, if you don't have ways to look after yourself uh, and uh, and knowing when to say okay uh, I need to ask for extra help from family yeah. uh, from organizations uh, well, that's that's my my very important question. I only have time yeah. for one more question. Our time together went to end. Oh so, my gosh, it's so over uh, so quickly. I know. So my most important question right now is: many times the family member who has the person with dementia absolutely refuses to have support at home. Okay, refuses. They will scream, fight, like not let the person in. What could family members do? So such a common problem that, that, uh, that we have to deal with and so very frustrating. Again, I, we're getting into an issue of trying to convince somebody they need help when they don't think they need help. The last that they remember, they were probably doing everything just fine on their own and now we're trying to convince them that uh, they can't. Uh, and uh, so it's sometimes the best thing to do is not get into that uh, level of discussion. You might never get anywhere trying to convince somebody that they need help if they don't think they need help. Sometimes it's better to just make it happen. If you think that you need someone to come in and help with the cooking and they don't think they need that, you're not going to convince them that they need that. Mm -hmm. But if a very friendly person shows up one day and, you know, eventually becomes a friend and develops a rapport and, oh, look, all of a sudden they're helping to cook and they prepared something that was really delicious. You know, it's a, it's a different decision whether I let this person in and help rather than realizing that I need it and accepting it. So that is the general strategy I use for people, but also picking battles to, you know, what are the most important, what are the most pressing concerns that need to be looked after and making sure that those things get looked after. But at the end of the day, uh, it's very hard to force somebody to do something that they don't want. And it often leads to more problems than it than it can be worth. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's where picking your battles is important. You have to balance the risk behind not looking after something versus, you know, respecting people's autonomy. Yeah, and it's I think- It's not that, always you know, easy to do. I mean, they'll most likely never want to accept help, right? So it almost comes down to tough love at some point because, you know, you can keep 
saying to yourself, okay, I'll wait another six months before I get some help. I'll wait another year. But at the end of the day, like you say, they'll never, they don't recognize that they need the help. And the most important person in this whole journey is the caregiver. Because if the caregiver doesn't take care of themselves, they can't take care of their loved one. Right? Yeah. So. yeah, it's it's the it's really a, a matter of uh, uh, the underlying decision of whether it's needed versus mm -hmm. accepting if it's there and, and really trying to just make that help happen. Mm -hmm. And if they accept it with the right and a gentle and a respectful approach that works on their terms, that's great. And if they don't, then, you know, it's about... Uh, uh, making the best of a not so great situation mm -hmm. sometimes. I think they just, the family member just has to be persistent because the more the disease progresses, it's not going to be as verbally tiring. It's going to be more physically tiring. Mm -hmm. And the longer they wait, the more, the more difficult it is to introduce support as it goes yeah, on. Yeah. And I, I think too, it's, it's knowing, uh, your personal limits as a caregiver, right? Mm -hmm. So that, that bringing in a stranger is, is always, well, almost always not as good as doing it yourself. Mm -hmm. Uh, but sometimes, uh, sometimes it's just too much and you have to know, uh, where you have to yeah, delegate some things and make it happen, mm -hmm. uh, even though if, if it creates a less than ideal or uncomfortable situation for a while. So Dr. Dole, thank you so much for sharing your time and experience. I think I'm gonna to have to bring you back for responding to challenging behaviors part two. Yeah, <laughs> the, I, I, the, can't, I can't believe how fast our, our time went together today it was unbelievable. yeah i can't believe either i don't know what happened <laughs> we were in some time warp. So, good. so um i'd like to once again thank you for being with us today we will be taking a two-week break uh for our webcast as a result of the upcoming provincial and national holidays so there'll be no webcast on the 24th of june and july 1st however we will be returning on wednesday july 8th and our topic will be supporting daily activities in dementia care with dr isabel gerina she is the Associate Professor and Graduate Program Director at the McGill School of Physical and Occupational Therapy. Um, so this webcast is, a, is an initiative of the McGill Dementia Education Program. If you would like to make a contribution or have more information about our program, please visit www.mcgill.ca slash dementia. And if you have any specific topics or suggestions for upcoming webcasts, please email us at dementia at mcgill.ca. So until next time, take good care of yourself and remember that uh, the key to navigating the journey is really through knowledge, education and support. Thank you.